Innal hamdalillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina man yahdihillahu fala mudilla lahu wa man yudlil fala hadiya lahu wa ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan 'abduhu wa rasuluhu amma ba'd Today's class then, it begins with the chapter Huduthu Shirki Fi Tawheed Al-Ilahiyyah The chapter regarding how shirk occurred within Tawheed Al-Uluhiyyah Matloobun min al-Muslimi ba'dama ya'rifu al-haq an ya'rifa ma yudadduhu min al-baatil liyajtanibah Sheikh Al-Fawzan, he says, What is required of a Muslim after knowing the truth is to then also know the opposite of the truth in order to stay away from it. Why does he say that here now? Because in the previous chapters we've been learning the definitions and the explanations of the categories of Tawheed. We've spoken about Al-Rububiyyah. We've spoken about Al-Uluhiyyah. We spoke about Al-Asma'u Wa-Sifat briefly. So after explaining those categories of Tawheed, understanding the correct understanding of them, he now moves on to explaining the opposite of them, which is shirk. And he says that what is required of a Muslim is to know the truth, and then after that, to also have an understanding of the batil, that which is false, in order to stay with the truth and make sure never to fall into that falsehood. Just as they quote the poet, عَرَفْتُ الشَّرَّ لَا لِلشَّرِّ لَكِنْ لِتَوَقِّيهِ عَرَفْتُ الشَّرَّ لَا لِلشَّرِّ لَكِنْ لِتَوَقِّيهِ That I learned the evil. I became aware of the evil. Not for the sake of the evil, but for the sake of being able to protect myself from the evil. As they say also, كَيْفَ يَتَّقِي مَنْ لَا يَعْرِفْ مَا يَتَّقِي How can somebody protect himself from something if he doesn't know what he needs to protect himself from? So the purpose of knowing this, knowing shirk, isn't for the sake of shirk, it's for the sake of then being able to make sure that you never fall into it. Because whenever you see it, you'll recognize it. And you'll therefore be able to stay away from it. As for somebody who doesn't recognize what the shirk is, doesn't recognize what activities incur shirk or are parts of shirk, then you may well fall into those activities without knowing it. 
as is mentioned in the hadith of Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, where he said, كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرِ That the people they used to ask the Prophet وسلم, about the good. They would ask him about the good deeds, the good actions, the goodness. But he said, وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرِ But I used to ask him about the evil. But why? He said, مَخَافَةً أَنْ أَقَعَ فِيهِ وَمَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي Because I feared otherwise I may fall into it. Or that it may overcome me. Meaning if you don't know what the shirk is and the types of shirk are, then you may well end up falling into them without even knowing or realizing. Hence, after learning the truth, after learning what tawheed is, you then also learn and have an understanding of what shirk is and its types in order to be able to stay away from those types of shirk. ويقول أمير المؤمنين عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه and it's mentioned that عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه said يوشك أن تنقض عر الإسلام عروة عروة إذا نشأ في الإسلام من لا يعرف الجاهلية that Islam it is going to be taken apart one by one if those who do not know jahiliya become widespread they are the ones who become prevalent and they are the ones who are now raised up they don't know anything about jahiliya meaning they don't know anything about shirk they don't know anything about the types of shirk they don't know anything from that which opposes Tawheed and Sunnah, then in that case, you're going to lose the correct understanding and comprehension of the religion. Similarly, the Shaykh quote the ayah in the Quran regarding Ibrahim alayhi salam. وَقَبْلَ ذَلِكَ قَالَ الْخَلِيلِ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ رَبِّ جَعَلْ هَذَا الْبَلَدَ آمِنًا وَجْنُبْنِي وَبَنِيَّ أَنَّ عَبُودَ الْأَصْنَامِ رَبِّ إِنَّهُنَّ أَضْلَلْنَّ كَثِيرًا مِنَ النَّاسِ In Ibrahim 35 and 36 That, O oh my Lord, make this a safe and secure land and protect me and my offspring from worshipping the idols. My Lord, indeed, they have misguided many of the people in reference to the idols, in reference to the shirk that the people were falling into. 
فهذا مما يوجب شدة الخوف من الشرك ومعرفته ليتجنب المسلم أو ليجتنبه المسلم Therefore this indicates why a Muslim needs to be upon fear from that shirk and falling into that shirk. There has to be a fear of falling into it. And you must constantly make dua that Allah keeps you firm upon tawheed just as Ibrahim alayhi salam did. Making dua to Allah to keep him firm upon tawheed and to keep him safe from shirk. The Salaf, they said, if Ibrahim alayhi salam is making this dua, asking Allah to keep him firm upon tawheed and to protect him from shirk, Ibrahim alayhi salam is making this dua, fearing upon himself and his offspring that shirk, then what therefore of us? What therefore of us? Not comparable at all to the status of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Should we not fear upon ourselves this shirk that has misled so many of the people as Ibrahim alayhi salam said, as Allah stated in the Quran. فالشرك هو صرف شيء من أنواع العبادة لغير الله. Shirk, in the basic definition, it is to redirect any act of worship to others besides Allah. Because worship should be exclusively for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every act of worship purely and sincerely for the sake of Allah. So if somebody redirect any act of that worship to others besides Allah, then that is shirk. In the very simplest form of understanding it, anybody who redirects any act of worship that is supposed to be obviously purely for the sake of Allah. They redirect that and do it for someone else, something else besides Allah. Then that is shirk. That is now placing associates alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kaddu'a wal-dhabh wal-nadhr wal-istighathah bighayrillah. For example, dua, supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is an act of worship. Doing dua to others besides Allah is an act of shirk. Slaughtering for others in the name of others besides Allah is an act of shirk. Vowing and taking oath. To others besides Allah, shirk. Seeking assistance and help from others in that which they are not capable of, shirk. Many acts of that nature. والتوحيد هو إفراد الله تعالى بالعبادة. And as for tawheed, then as we've already gone through in the previous chapters, 
it is singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with worship. وَهُوَ أَصِيلٌ فِي بَنِي آدَمٌ And Tawheed is the default within the children of Adam. That is the nature, the innate nature, the default within mankind that they are upon Tawheed. It is from the philosophers and the deviants who say that mankind was created upon a state of not knowing. Then they had to examine and analyze and research until they discovered that we need to worship Allah alone. Incorrect. Mankind was not born upon a natural disposition of non-Tawheed. Mankind is upon a natural disposition, the default of Tawheed. And we know in the hadith in Bukhari, Kana bayna Adam wa Nuh alayhim as-salam ashrata qurun kulluhum ala at-tawheed. Between Adam and Nuh alayhim as-salam, there were ten generations. All of them upon Tawheed. From Adam alayhi salam, the beginning. From there, all of the generations upon Tawheed. And shirk is therefore the secondary item that occurred. Primarily Tawheed in mankind. Secondarily shirk then occurred. And that is mentioned in the Qur'an also, in Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Baqarah 213. كَانَ النَّاسُ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً That the people were one ummah upon Tawheed. فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ النَّبِيِّينَ مُبَشِّرِينَ وَمُنْذِرِينَ And so Allah sent the prophets as bringers of glad tidings and warners, وَأَنزَلَ مَعَهُمُ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ And he revealed with them the book, the revelation upon truth, لِيَحْكُمَ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ فِي مَخْتَلَفُوا فِي In order to judge between the people in that which they differed over. كَانَ النَّاسُ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً the people were one ummah upon Tawheed. But then afterwards, Allah tells us they split. In that which they split and differed over, the shirk that they then began falling into. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala said, هذا القول هو الصحيح في الآية That this statement, that is the truth which is in the ayah. وصحح هذا القول أيضا ابن كثير And ابن كثير also verified, validated this statement. وأول ما حدث الشرك في الأرض في قوم نوح And the first shirk that occurred on the earth was during the time of the people of Nuh alayhi salam. 
حين غلوا في الصالحين when they exaggerated and went to extremes in their love for the righteous they exaggerated in their love for the righteous and it mentions in surah nuh in 23 waqalu la tadharunna alihatakum they said do not leave your deities وَلَا تَذَرُنَّ أَنْ دُنَأْلِيذُ وَدَّنَّ وَلَا سُوَاعًا وَلَا يَغُوثَ وَيَعُوقَ وَنَصْرًا Names of the deities that they worshipped and called upon besides Allah. Righteous men who had died amongst them and they exaggerated and went to extremes in regards to them. Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma said mentioned in al-Bukhari Hadhihi asma'u rijalin salihina min qawmi Nuh These are names of righteous men from the people of Nuh Falamma halaku when they died awha shaytanu ila qawmihim أَنْصِبُوا إِلَى مَجَالِسِهِمُ الَّتِي كَانُوا يَجْلِسُونَ فِيهَا أَنْصَابًا When those righteous people died, Shaytan whispered to them, Make in your places of sitting and gathering some resemblance or figurines of those righteous people so that you can remember them. Shaytan whispered to the people, make some figures or something to remember those people by and put these things in your places of gathering. And name these representations with the names of those righteous people. So the people did that. In their love for those righteous people and in their desire to remember those righteous people. فَلَمْ But the people did not begin worshipping these resemblances that they had created. They had been upon Tawheed for ten generations. They did not start worshipping them. حَتَّى إِذَا هَلَكَ أُولَئِكَ وَنُسِيَ الْعِلْمُ Until when they died and knowledge was lost. And the following generations came and did know. They then began worshipping those idols, those representations of those righteous people. And that is where the first shirk occurred. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa ala. So as we were saying, mankind, the default within mankind is at-tawheed and then after that shirk appeared during the time of Nuh alayhi salam or just before the time of Nuh alayhi salam Ibn al-Qayyim said qala ghayr wahidin min as-salaf more than one from the salaf said multiple individuals from the salaf said لما ماتوا 
عكفوا على قبورهم ثم صوروا تماثيلهم ثم قال عليهم الأمد فعبدوهم that many of the salaf mentioned when they died those righteous people so remember the story at the time when Allah initially created Adam alayhi salam Adam alayhi salam and the ten generations following were all upon Tawheed worshipping Allah alone then during that time of Nuh alayhi salam there were some righteous people, pious people. Everybody loved them, respected them. When those pious and righteous people died, everybody was saddened. They were grieving over the loss of these righteous and pious people in their community. So the shaitan saw the opportunity saw the people in this emotional state and saw the opportunity. So he went to the people and encouraged them to go and visit the graves of those righteous people who had passed away. Telling them they were righteous, they were pious, you should go to their graves and remember them. And it will increase you in Iman too, remembering those pious people, etc. So that was something good, the people thought. So they went and they would go and visit the graves of those righteous and pious who had died amongst them. Then the shaitan whispered to them, but when you go, don't just visit and come back. Go and stay. Spend some proper time at the graves. So they began going and staying there for lengthy periods of time, still committing no shirk. Then after that, the shaitan whispered to them that instead of the difficulty of going out to the graves of those righteous people all the time, make some figurines, some idols, some pictures, some representations of those pious people and put them in your places of gatherings, in your places of sitting, so that every time wherever you are in your villages, in those places of gathering, you will have this representation of the righteous people and you'll remember them. So the people did that, thinking again it's a good idea. The pious and righteous people will remember them. So they made these representations of them and they put them in their places of sitting and gathering. Still no shirk was committed. Until then when time passed by and those first generations who made those representations until they passed away and knowledge was lost, as the narration says. Knowledge was lost, and the generations who came afterwards didn't know what these idols, these figurines, these representations were of what, of who, why. Didn't know. Knowledge was lost through time. So then the shaitan came to them 
and whispered to them that your forefathers, they used to make dua to them. When there was a drought, they would make dua to them and ask them for the rain. When there were other affairs, they would return to them and make dua to them. So now these new generations who did not know the reality of what that was and they were the righteous people, etc. They didn't know any of that. They believed what was whispered to them and so they began calling upon these idols. They began calling upon them, making dua to them and that is where the first shirk appeared. Those idols at the time of Nuh السلام, they remained. They remained in existence in history. After the floods occurred, when the floods occurred during the time of Nuh السلام, the idols were washed away. And they were buried under the sands of what is currently recognized as the beaches of Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. That was the geographical location where those idols from the time of Nuh landed and were buried under the sand. And they remained there for years and years centuries and the prophets and messengers came and went until the final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam's time came during that time there was an individual by the name of Abu Amr ibn Luhay al-Khuza'i individual who was whispered to by the shaitan to go to that location and he went and he dug up the very idols that had been worshipped at the time of Nuh They were there, buried under the sand from the floods of Nuh So he dug them up and he brought them back into the sight of the people and they began to be worshipped again until eventually during the conquering of Mecca, Fathu Mecca, in the year 8 Hijri, when the Prophet ﷺ entered Mecca and took over Mecca, there were hundreds of idols in and around the Kaaba. And so the Prophet ﷺ destroyed those idols and he commanded the other companions, Ali and Khalid ibn al-Walid, commanded them to go and destroy other idols around the place. That is when the destruction of the idols finally occurred. And that is when those idols from the time of Nuh were finally destroyed. So they came into existence during the time of the first messenger and they were finally destroyed at the time of the last messenger 
They existed and remained throughout history. And as Shaykh Al-Fawzan Hafizahullah Ta'ala mentioned, he said, look at the effects, the evil effects of shirk. How? When it takes hold, then it remains and it is lengthy and severe. These idols, they took hold at the time of Nuh and they remained in existence until they were finally destroyed at the time of the final messenger Muhammad throughout all of the prophets and messengers in between they remained. They were there in existence, not destroyed. Such is the after effect of shirk. So that is where shirk first began. And that's why the Shaykh says, لِهَذَا جَاءَ الْإِسْلَامُ بِتَحْرِيمِ التَّصْوِيرِ Islam has come with the ruling of impermissibility upon picture making. وَلَعَنَ الْمُصَوِّرِينَ And there is a curse upon those who take pictures, make pictures. وَتَوَعَّدَهُمْ بِأَشَدِّ الْوَعِيدِ And they have been threatened with the most severe of threats. أَنَّهُمْ أَشَدُّ النَّاسِ عَذَابًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ That they will be the most punished people on the day of judgment. The picture makers, those who paint and draw and take pictures with cameras, all of it comes into the same category. Pictures of living things, of course. The meaning is pictures of living things, animals, people. As for non-living things, meaning things that don't have a soul in them, plants and buildings and trees, no problem. But taking pictures or making pictures of living things with a soul, like humans and animals, then that is prohibited in Islam prohibited in whatever form you do that in, whether it's with a pencil that you draw, or with a brush that you paint, or with a phone or a camera that you press the button, all of it is classed as picture-making. Musawwireen is the word used. Allah curses the picture-makers, the picture-takers. So that is inclusive, whether it's a pencil you use or a brush you use, or you sculpt it into some rock, or you use your devices to press the buttons on them and take photographs. Then as a Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizullah Ta'ala mentioned, all of that is included within this threat. Hence it is impermissible to take pictures and make pictures of humans, of animals. Because if you look at this story, the original shirk occurred via the means of picture making. Shaitan encouraged them to make some pictures, some resemblances, some idols of those righteous people. So they made them. Those idols were the ones that then got worshipped later on. That is where the shirk began. Hence, 
the issue of the graves, which was involved here too, and the issue of picture making, are two of the most severe affairs for a person to understand. That is where the shirk in the majority occurs, in the graves and what is associated to it, and the picture making. Hence, even with the graves at the beginning of Islam, it was prohibited to go visit the graveyard. As the Prophet said, I used to prohibit you from visiting the graves. But now, rather, visit them because they will remind you of the afterlife. Visit them when? After they had become established in aqidah, established in understanding Islam. Then the Prophet allowed them to visit the graves. So that is the story of how the shirk initially began. Any questions then up to there or anything else related or linked to that? Children's? Dolls? Dolls that are faceless, then they are okay for kids. There is a narration about Aisha radiallahu anha having such a type of doll. So when they don't have any faces to them, they are made blank, and they have the hands and the arms and everything else. It looks like a doll, but there's no face, there's no features, there's nothing. That is okay for kids. You're allowed to have those for the kids. So they say calling upon others is shirk, but calling through others Via others is not shirk. Meaning they say, if you go to the graveyard and say, oh, such and such, give me this, give me that, you're calling upon him, that shirk. But if you go to the graveyard and say, oh, such and such, great, uh, great imam, whoever he is, take my dua to Allah, ask Allah for me, for X, Y, and Z. They say, look, now we're not calling upon him, we're calling upon Allah. We're just asking him to take our dua to Allah. That is exactly the shirk that happened at the time of the Prophet ﷺ with the mushrikun. They used to say and do exactly the same type of thing. They used to say, these are our intercessors with Allah. We do not worship them except that they bring us closer to Allah. They used to take them as intermediaries asking them to take their dua to Allah. As people claim now, that is exactly shirk. You do not ask Allah via others. Allah has told you to make dua to Him directly, to call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِ عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ If they ask you about me, tell them I am close. I answer the dua of the one who calls upon me. So it is shirk to use intermediaries, even from the grave of the Prophet. As people go there and make dua to him and ask the Prophet, وسلم, take our dua to Allah, shirk. That is not a shafa'ah, which has been made permissible now. If for some reason you miss the janazah upon somebody, they pray the janazah, they go bury the person, you miss it. Maybe you were out of the country, maybe you were somewhere else, you couldn't be there. Later on, when you come back from your travels or whatever excuse it was, whatever reason it was, 
then it is permissible to go to the graveyard and pray upon the person. It can be done, that is allowed. There is a narration about the woman, and some say it was a man, who used to sweep up the mask of the Prophet When that woman died, and some scholars say it was at night, so the companions, they took care of everything and went and did the janazah and buried her, didn't want to disturb the Prophet Afterwards, the Prophet was asking about her, where she gone, the woman who used to clean the mosque. They said she died. The Prophet said, you should have told me. You should have told me. So then he asked them, where is the grave? And went and prayed upon her himself too. So it indicates it is permissible to go and pray upon a person if you miss the janazah at the graveyard. That is permissible. If all of you have missed it, it's possible you can go. If all of you missed it for whatever reason, you were traveling, you were abroad, something happened, one of the community died, you missed the janazah, you can go and pray the janazah, it's possible. Anything else? With kids, there is a, a degree of leeway. There is a degree of leeway, as some of the scholars mentioned, for kids and learning. You want to teach a child what an eagle is and what a sparrow is and what the difference between the two of the birds are. Unless you actually go take them to a bird sanctuary, the only other way to do that is to show them pictures of a, an eagle and a sparrow and show them the difference. You want to show them the difference between a tiger and a lion unless you take them to a zoo. The only other way is to show them pictures of a lion and a tiger. So you have a degree of leeway the scholars mention with kids. It doesn't necessitate that you go beyond the boundaries. They don't have to be drawing pictures of animals. Sufficient for them to see things, enough to learn. A level of leeway just for them to understand and learn. And even there, you could erase the faces, the eyes, even then. It wouldn't need to be taken to a level where there are full-on pictures, perhaps. Taking pictures without somebody's face in, in Arabic they call it abath. In English you'd call it something like, what a waste of time, or something like that. Well, you, I mean, a person is that desperate, he wants to take a picture of a person's body, he has to have some memory, so you're going to take a picture without the head in it. What is the, the thing with memories, as the scholars, they say? The memories are not what are going to benefit you. What's going to benefit you is that you raise your children, your families upon righteousness. So all of this thing about, okay, well, can I just take a picture? I'll, I'll cut the head out. The picture will, won't have the head in it. Be a, a headless body in the picture. A headless body. What are you going to do with a headless body in the picture? So the best thing is avoid that. Why do you need that? It's not a necessity, it's not needed. Avoid taking pictures of people, of animals. There's no need for it. According to the, uh, the narrations, it says, Allah curses the picture makers. When you draw with a pencil, you're making a picture. When you draw with a brush, paintbrush, you're painting a picture. You sculpt something into some, some uh, rock, you made a picture. You press the button on the phone, have you made a picture or not? You maybe could argue no, 
Maybe some people may argue, no, that's not quite the same as a pencil or a brush or a sculpture, a sculpture, sculpting. It's not quite the same, they may say. Some may say. But can you safely say it's not the same? Can you 100% say when you press the button, you are not included in the narrations of picture makers and the curse of Allah on the picture makers? Can you say that 100%? Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, no, you can't. How can you be certain and say that with 100% you are not in the hadith? Some scholars, they say, because when you take a photograph, it is not falling into the narrations of competing with the creation of Allah. That's what it says in some of the narrations. When you make pictures, it's as though you're trying to compete with the creation of Allah, to create on your paper or on your materials what is there in real life. You're trying to emulate and create that yourself, to compete with the creation of Allah. But when you take a photograph, it's exactly the same as you looking into a mirror. You've not created anything. It's exactly that thing. It's not a copy. It's not an imitation. It is that thing. Hence, some of them say it doesn't come into these narrations. But can you be certain of that and be safe of that? That the hadith doesn't apply to you? Certainly what is safe and what is clear is that you should not take photographs. So if you've been taking photographs, you shouldn't keep them. And there are other narrations about the angels not coming to the homes of photographs, etc. as well. Photography, the safest position, the best position is that you do not take photographs. Too late. We're going to have to round off on that. There's another class to do. So inshallah ta'ala will carry on next week with the next part. Until then we'll conclude.